Welcome to Seize Your Midlife, the podcast exclusively for midlife women. I'm your host, Bree Schumacher. We are going to dive into all the things from health and hormones to beauty and wellness. We'll be asking the question, what's my midlife purpose? And what am I going to do with the rest of my life? We'll also be interviewing women who've taken leaps or made U-turns in midlife. This conversation is going to be engaging, sometimes educational, a little bit funny, and always real. It is my sincere hope that you find your midlife purpose and lead your most fulfilling life. So join us on this journey to seize your midlife. Let's go. Hello, hello, and welcome back to another episode of Seize Your Midlife. I am so glad that you are here today, and I'm excited because I have a guest on the show. Tori Hicks Glogowski has been practicing yoga for almost 20 years and has been teaching it for well over a decade. She has 1,000 hours of yoga education under her belt And her superpower is to take a student stuck in quote-unquote beginner yoga land and assist them to build something more empowering and fun. Tori helps her students tap into limitless possibilities on their yoga mat and in their lives. But Tori was not always a yogi, and her story is great and winding, and I can't wait for you to hear it, but I'm going to let you hear it from her. So welcome to the show, Tori. Oh, thank you so much, Bree, for having me today. I'm excited. Okay, first question I ask on the episodes is always, how old are you? I am 45 and just a few months shy of turning 46. Oh my gosh. Well, and you look fantastic, which I think is probably an amazing testament to your yoga. (laughs) Thank you so much for saying that. Uh, Yes, yoga definitely keeps you feeling young. So if that translates to looking young, cool, (laughs) you know. Yes, yes, yes. The feel is the most important, right? It It definitely is. Okay. And where are you right now? I am in Aurora, Illinois, which is in the western suburbs of Chicago. Yeah. And ironically, for those of you listening that know me or know my story, I grew up in that area, but Tori and I don't know each other from then. So it's just kind of small worldish, you know, that she lives there and I'm from that area. So kind of funny. But it sounds like, you know, you didn't grow up in that area and you actually went to college at ISU, Illinois State. For those of you that are not Midwesterners, And you are a music education major. And on your literal first day, you end up meeting your now husband, which I just think is crazy. And you told me that 23-year-old Tori made the best decision. And I just was like, wow, because not many 23-year-olds are making the best decisions. And you said when you married your husband at 23 that that was the best decision. So I love that. So much. Um, 
And because you were married, um, your, you know, kind of adulthood, I guess, sped up probably more than, I guess, speaking for myself, I was not acting like an adult at 23, but <laughs> um, you moved to Moline, it sounds like, where your husband was teaching, and you get a job at a dinner theater as a singing waitress, which I just love and I have so many visuals of. And you said this was another example of 23-year-old Tori making the best decision. Is that right? Yes. Uh, So when I was in college, I was music education, and I liked to teach, but my husband is a music educator. He teaches middle school uh, choir and ukulele and general music, and he is just one of those teachers that is so, so talented at what he does. And I was always a performer growing up and was in love with Broadway. And when I went to college, I started studying vocal performance as well as music music education. So I was double majoring in vocal performance and was training in classical singing, which is what most people would think of as when you go to the opera, that's what you hear. So at that point, when I you know, after I married my husband and moved to where he was teaching because he's four years older than me, I had, you know, I had decided that I was going to play my cards at musical theater. And luckily for me, there was a theater in this town because the Quad Cities, which Moline is a part of Moline, we also lived in Rock Island uh, for some of the time that we were there. It's really in the middle of nowhere. You know, it's, it's four cities, uh, Bettendorf and Davenport are on the, on the Iowa side, and it's right on the Mississippi River. It's a really beautiful town. But I was just so, so glad that I had an outlet and that I could perform in that space, whether it's a singing waitress or not. Just super grateful that there was a place for me to follow my dream as well as him being able to follow his. Yeah, I love that. And I know you talked about how it was such a stepping stone for you and, you know, what would go on to be a long career um, in performance. But in your heart, you always thought you were going to go back and get a master's in opera singing, right? That's true. Uh, When I was a vocal performance major and singing what we call legit, that's also a way um, to describe singing classically or singing opera. When I was in that program and working towards it, I thought that is that was just the obvious next step. That's what most people do with a vocal performance degree is and then they go into their masters because your voice as a woman and as a singer isn't completely mature until your early 30s. So in your 20s, you're just trying to develop the skills to perform in that way and develop your voice and your sound. But you know, when I would do a recital, because we were required to do recitals uh, as part of our curriculum, so you would do two recitals. And as much as I loved singing, uh, you know, the classical music, singing Foray and Rossini and and Mozart, and I, I loved working on arias, I always, always had a little musical theater section at the end, and it was always my favorite part. Oh, and it sounds like it was a friend that said to you, like, you were born for this. You were born for musical theater. And so you start going out and auditioning. You leave the the singing waitress job and you start going out and auditions. And 
when you told me this, I was like, how on earth are you going out on auditions? Because I know where the Moline and all this, it is in the middle of nowhere, like you said. So how did that work? Oh, it was, it was so tough. Uh, but at the same time, it worked out the way it was supposed to. I, I really believe that you're always where you're supposed to be. And as a singing waitress, I, we would do these pre-shows before uh, the main stage show at this venue. And it gave me an opportunity to be seen by quite a few directors and producers that were coming through and directing and producing those main stage shows. So they would see see me perform that 15 minute show. It was always, you know, themed towards the main stage show. And so there were group auditions that were held throughout the country where you would get three minutes to do a monologue and sing 16 bars. And there'd be like 50 to a hundred theaters, uh, you know, their artistic directors and producers in the audience. And then they would call you back if they were interested in seeing you for some of their other shows. And so I did a few of those and all of a sudden I was starting to work. Also, I would go in, drive in, stay with my folks a couple of nights and do a couple of auditions in Chicago uh, at that time too. Oh my gosh. It does sound crazy. And it sounds like at one point you even take a job in Arizona. Is that right? Oh, I worked on and off in Arizona for over five years. Uh, I loved working in Arizona and they always, always called me up for a contract in the winter months of Chicago. So I was like, yes. You're like, peace <laughs> out Midwest. <laughs> so it was actually, I think it was five full years in a row where I was, I was a 20, you know, in my twenties and a complete snowbird, you know, like you would be when you're retired, I would be here. I would be in the Midwest or if, if I was, you know, not traveling on a show and then I would go out to Arizona in the winter and do a couple of shows for them. Wow. And I know you had mentioned to me that you and Jeffrey had decided like really early in your relationship that you didn't want children and that this really allowed you to have this lifestyle where you could be gone and everything. But regardless of whether you had kids or not, this was a really hectic lifestyle and you know, probably really hard to be away from your husband, I imagine. Oh, it was. I mean, so you know, I started really traveling when I was around 25, 26. And back then, we got married in 2000, the year 2000. So back then, you know, there was no smartphone. There was no, there wasn't even, uh, what did they call it back then? It wasn't Zoom. It was, you know, there was no, you couldn't call and, and have a conversation face-to-face on the computer like you can today with the technology that we have. And so it was all just phone calls and, you know, trust, really. I was gone so many days out of the year, uh, most years. And so it was really, it was an adventure, but it was, it was tough. I won't say that it wasn't, but we were both doing what we really wanted to do and we were both following our dreams. So for whatever reason, that made it work out. Yeah. I mean, I think a part of having a successful marriage is allowing the other person to be who they are, right? And it sounds like you were doing that. But you said that one year you were even gone 300 days, which no matter how much you love doing what you're doing, that is a lot. And It sounds like this lifestyle, as adventurous as it was, as fun as it was, it really kind of 
triggered for you this eating disorder that you had struggled with in your teens to kind of come rearing its ugly head again. Is that right? Yes, it was. You know, uh, having an eating disorder, I, I really believe that if you have that kind of uh, mentality where you develop an eating disorder, then it, it is a little bit with you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. You know, it is something that is just, it's there with you. It, you either lean into it or you don't. And so most of the time when I was feeling really healthy and great, then it was fine. But when you're on the road all the time, you feel super disconnected from your husband, from your family, uh, and you start investing in the wrong things. And I think that's where I started to kind of veer off the path. Like I was dancing a lot in the shows. I was required to lurk a certain way, or at least that was my perception at the time. You know, whether that's true or not, I have no idea, but there were a lot of other people around me that had eating disorders as well. So it just kind of lent to just coming back into my life. And it was like most things, when things circle around for you, it was worse this time than it had been in my teens, wow. for sure. Wow. And I think a lot of people listening who have backgrounds in dance or in acting or in gymnastics, like those are kind of fields, it seems like, where, like you said, there were people around you that were also, you know, having this disordered thinking and eating. And so it becomes kind of in some ways a, a norm. And, you know, the alarms aren't going off in the way it maybe would in other areas. But – you know, you told me how, you know, you hadn't even told your husband at this point. And because you were gone, you know, he didn't really see what it was that was going on. Is that right? Oh, yes. I mean, anyone that has had an eating disorder knows that you're really kind of the master of not showing it to anybody, that everything's fine. You're doing great. Everything's healthy. And, you know, being away from the people that knew me best made it very, very simple, you know, to kind of dive into that world of disordered eating. And so he had very, very, very little knowledge of it until uh, until we were with each other yeah. uh, for a longer amount of time. Yeah, I believe it. And like you said, it's, you know, eating disorders, I think, share that in common with addictions, that they are shameful and secretive. And so, yeah, you're probably absolutely right. You you work to keep that away from the people that you love, protect them from that part of you. But you were telling me how you were in New York, you were on a Broadway audition, and you had this super vivid dream about your grandpa. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So my my grandpa, we called him Papa. He died when I was young. So eight, nine, ten, somewhere in there. And for me, he would show up in my dream. In my family, we always call those visits. Like, oh, I got a visit last night from, you know, people that have passed in our family. And I had had, you know, dreams on and off through, you know, my teen years and going into my 20s every once in a while he would show up my dreams. But this was a very vivid one. And I just remember it was him and he was saying, you have to stop. You have to find a way to stop. Like right now, you have to stop. And that really was the beginning of me starting to think, I, maybe I couldn't keep this going much longer (laughs) when it comes to the eating disorder and woke me up a little bit. Yeah. And I do think there are moments in all of our lives that are kind of like those light bulb moments that are like, 
okay, something's got to give. Something's got to change. And the next part of that for you was this conversation you had with your mom. You go back home and you kind of open up a little bit to your mom that you're you're really struggling. And she gives you a book that ends up really sending you on a spiritual journey. Can you talk a little bit about that moment and that book? Absolutely. I was uh, I, I was with my parents because I would be when I wasn't on a show, I would come home to my parents in Chicago and stay with them for a few nights a week. So even when I was home, I wasn't with Jeffrey and I wasn't with my husband, which made it even harder. But that way I could easily get into auditions. I had a job that would allow me if my agent called that I could go in a moment's notice. And it really worked out in that regard, I don't know if it was really working out for a fully functioning life at that point, but that was that part was working out. And so I was in my parents' house and I was just exhausted and tired and probably extremely hungry. And when you have an eating disorder, your hormones are all over the place. And so I remember crying and like not being able to stop crying. And I was in my room and for some reason, I just had the intuitive hit that I needed to go talk to my mom. And my mom was in her bedroom and she goes, oh my goodness, what's wrong with you? And I just said, oh, I'm just, you know, this, this stuff is so hard. Auditioning and being in this, in, in show business is so hard. And she said, yeah, it, it's insane what you do. It's so hard what you do. And, you know, so I wasn't really opening up and being like, I haven't eaten in a long time or any of that, but that's kind of as much as I could open up. And she said, you know, I've been reading this book and I think you might like it and it might offer you a little, you know, help. And it was The Gift of Change by Marianne Williamson. And something about that book, it was based on what is called The Course in Miracles, which is, it's it's something that... I did dive into uh, going, you know, moving forward from there, but it's a way of looking at the world where you are responsible for the way you feel. You are, you know, the main thing there is, you know, love is greater than fear. And it was something I needed to hear at that time. So as it was, it was very strange because as, you know, in just a couple of days from reading that book, it was like my brain had made this 180 shift about what was important. And then my spiritual journey and seeking really started from there. And, you know, I think something that's really important to hold on to from what you just said is that there are so many little gifts like that that happen to us in our lives that people, you know, recommend us to a podcast or to a book or a speaker or something. And we never know what is going to resonate and really be that game changer. And so I think just being really open to those kind of tiny gifts or doors um, and opening them is so important in our lives because it really can be a game changer. And it sounds like that was the case for you. And you talked to me about how at this point you and Jeffrey move kind of closer to the Naperville area and you discover this Bikram yoga studio. And for those of you listening that are not yoga people, Bikram yoga is hot yoga. And I'm sure you all know about hot yoga. And Tori, you talk about how, you know, first you start going and then Jeffrey starts going and he gets really into it. So you're both just like living at the studio. You're going like all the time. 
And when I asked you this question, you were like, yeah, no. Because I said to you, and I'm going to ask you again, did your life change immediately when you started going to hot yoga? And you were like, yeah, no. So why why not? And what did it take for you to actually make that big change? It's, it's super interesting. So a lot of people that end up in becoming yoga teachers, they take one or two yoga classes and they're like, when's the next teacher training? And then they're off to the races. And that was just not the case for me. I was very, very in love with what I did. It, you know, I loved my husband and I loved my work and I really wanted to find a way to make them both work together as best I could. And he was so, so supportive. Every time I would get, you know, someone would call me and offer me a job. I didn't always take everything that was offered. And he would be like, why didn't you take it? You should have taken it. You know, he was very, very supportive, even if it meant that we were apart from each other about following what I knew I wanted to do. So I would, even though I started becoming a regular at the studio and was there with Jeffrey four or five, maybe even six days a week sometimes, I would often hear, well, you should become a yoga teacher. And I was like, well, I already have, you know, a career that I love. Why would I ever do that? And then, you know, over time, I always said with musical theater or with performing, I would do it until it wasn't fun anymore. And it started becoming unfun. That's when I started thinking, well, maybe I should become a yoga teacher. Yeah. And you told me how you got a a part in a theater that you were like always wanted to be part of. It was like on your bucket list kind of, and that it was just kind of like a yucky experience overall. And that was kind of that moment of like, yeah, this might be it for me. And I think there are so many moments in our lives like that where we're like, "Mm, this just isn't fun anymore. So that happens to you. And you decide you want to go – you actually want to listen to what everybody's telling you about becoming an instructor. And so you decide that you are going to go get trained to be a yoga instructor in Bikram Yoga. And at that time, the only way to do that was to study under – and I might say his name wrong, so correct me – Bikram Choudhury? How do you say his name? (laughs) Choudhury. Exactly. See, I don't know. I'm not a yoga person, but – You know, and I know you mentioned this and I know I had heard this before too, that he's a very controversial and unconventional figure. But you actually go off to this teacher training for, was it nine weeks? How long was it? Nine weeks or something? Yes. Nine weeks. Oh my gosh. That's crazy. I mean, when you think about that, that's more than two months. And Mm -hmm. so talk about some of the things because you said it was like, I think I think I even read that it's called like torture training or something. Yeah. It is. So it's uh it was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life and at the same time there were so many lessons learned within those 9 weeks about the strength that I already have within inside me that it was a valuable teacher training for me. I know there's controversy about this teacher training uh and if I go back I would still make that choice at that time. Today, there are so many other opportunities to get certified in hot yoga, teaching that sequence from so many other beautiful people. But at that time, there was one choice. And so if that's what I was set on doing, then that's what I had to do. Teacher training consisted of two classes a day, 
the classes were much harder than a class you would find at an average studio. So they were hot. I mean, 120 degrees hot and still having to move and do yoga. Uh, the classes were longer. They were sometimes go over two hours and, uh, and there was just very little time for sleep. There was very little time for anything, but being in what we called the yoga bubble and knowing what I had known, I had already practiced for six years at this point. So I had heard all the stories from teacher training and I knew what to expect. I knew that it was going to be pretty grueling, but all I kept thinking of is I can't wait to teach. I can't wait to share yoga with people and I can't wait to see people transform because they started a yoga practice. And so that was always in the forefront of my mind when the lecture would go too long, the class was too hot. And I just stayed in the back and got through those nine weeks. So for me, getting through this training that uh, was was really, you know, it is called like the torture chamber. And, you know, it is, it's known for being such a, a tough, tough training was really for me about coming home and doing something I was passionate about. Uh, For me, the yoga had kind of taken over and it was what I talked about all the time. My husband, before I went to the training said, you realize you rarely talk about musical theater or auditions anymore. All you do is talk about yoga and maybe this really is what you're supposed to do. And from the moment that I decided to go, it was green light. Like I I was supposed to be at that training and uh, still feel very fortunate that I was able to come back and, and teach the yoga that I was then so passionate about. And I love that about how, you know, you used to be somebody that talked all about musical theater and now you had become somebody that talked all about yoga. And I think that's such a good lesson in purpose and passion and how fluid it is that you can have a passion for a time and then you can develop something new. And, you know, when people say, well, what's my purpose? I think a lot of times they think of this like it's your lifelong commitment to your purpose. And I think this is a really good example of your next purpose, you know, that your purpose is always ebbing and flowing. And I love that. And So when you come home, you're kind of on fire and you start teaching at studios all across the Chicagoland area. And you even go on to write a book. Is that right? Yes. So I taught for, you know, as soon as I got home, I was on the schedules and I I taught as much and as often as I could. Most yoga teachers that are really excited about teaching. That is the way they, you know, they start that, you know, I would teach as often any time of the day (laughs) I was ready to go. And in 2013, so it was two years after I graduated from teacher training, I decided to start this blog called Views from the Podium, because when you teach Bikram yoga or hot yoga, you're normally standing on a box, which we would call the podium. And so it really was about uh, having having a positive space for this type of yoga because it had changed my life so much. It had, I really was uh, felt extremely healthy while doing this yoga. I was you no longer dealing as hard with my eating disorder. I 
fell in love with my body instead of instead of thinking that it should always look like something else. I was really proud of what my body could accomplish within uh, within my yoga practice. And I started appreciating it more. And I wanted to share that experience with as many people as possible. So I started this blog and it was really just for me to write my own voice. Uh, my side gig as an actor and even as a yoga teacher was to write for other people and write in their voice as a copyright. And so it was so freeing to just speak in my own voice and it became pretty popular for the people that practice hot yoga, right? So that then lent to the thought of, well, maybe this is actually a book. So uh, then it took years to write this book, but I was very, very proud when it was done. Uh, and so I wrote the book, it's called Views from the Podium, The Life and Times of a Hot Yogi, which chronicles my life as an actress um, turned yogi and chronicles also the life of five students and how their yoga practice had affected positive change for them once they committed to it. I love that because so many people say, oh, I'm going to write a book and then they they don't actually do it because once you dive into writing a book, you do realize it takes years. So I love that you did that. You took your passion and you developed it into all these different things. And even as successful as you were out, you know, in the Chicagoland area offering all these classes, you eventually decide to start teaching yoga yourself online and your company, Meet Me on Your Mat, is formed. So how did that happen? What was the evolution there? Okay. So the yoga that I was trained to teach in 2011, that first teacher training, is be called beginner's yoga. So even though it is a wildly tough class to take for the people that may know of this class or know of hot yoga, it's not easy, but it is called beginner's yoga. And what I started seeing around the time I published the book, which was really a love letter to this type of yoga, was I was experiencing some chronic lower back pain and I started seeing you know, other people that had committed to this practice and were, you know, doing it for 10 years plus were starting to have similar injuries. Like I would see the same injury over and over and again. And I also was the teacher that was always interested in what's beyond that class. So you would often see me after that class working on other postures and creating different shapes with my body because I thought it was super interesting to see you know, maybe I could do that. So a training popped up in 2016 where I would learn how to teach intermediate and advanced yoga from this lineage of yoga, which is called Ghosh Yoga, which comes from Calcutta, India. And so I went to that training. And when I came back to Chicagoland, I was one of two teachers in the area that was teaching it. And so I would teach that class often. And as, as many studios as I could, because a lot of people wanted to add it to their studio offerings. And so I started to really fall in love with that and seeing people go beyond what beginner's yoga, you know, sequence was and see them achieve things that they never thought was possible. And so I was already teaching private lessons online. I was doing some teacher mentorship at that point because I had been teaching for so long and just helping other teachers develop their own programs for their communities. And when COVID hit, it seemed like a natural thing to bring my classes online. 
I was probably one of the first yoga teachers to hop online because I was already had a Zoom account. I already kind of like all of a sudden when we went into quarantine, I thought, how would you do an online yoga class that the people were really there with you where it wasn't just a videotape class? And I was like, oh, you could do this on Zoom. So I contacted the people that were interested in my intermediate and advanced offerings and said, hey, you know, it's only going to be two weeks. You know, COVID quarantine was supposed to be two weeks. What if we did this thing that this class that we can only take, you know, the studio's wanted it to offer those classes, the intermediate advanced classes, but they were always at super oddball times that would make it hard for the people that wanted to attend to attend. And uh, they were only offered like once a month or once a week. And so the people that were interested in this type of yoga very rarely got a chance to actually practice it. And so the thought was, well, while we're in quarantine, what if we did this yoga every day? What would happen? And it was amazing. It, it, we saw such growth in each student's practice. And from there, and you know, it started to roll into this program and what it is today. I love that. And I know now you have memberships and you have this, you have lots of different offerings and it's amazing the way something that maybe seems like an obstacle sometimes opens new doors that you would have never imagined. And this sounds like it really was the case for your business. And that, that this was the platform that you were really meant to have. And I love that. So what would you say to the person listening who's never done yoga or maybe just dappled in it, why you think it's important, especially in midlife? Oh, yoga is so important in midlife. Now that I am sitting here in my midlife years, it is important for several reasons. So I always think, you know, my thought on aging is you start to really age when you stop learning. And mm -hmm. when you are someone that has a, a yoga practice, you're always learning if it's the right kind of practice. If you're always doing the same practice over and over again, and you just space out and do it, that's not the kind of yoga I'm talking about. So the type of yoga I'm talking about is where you're challenged to do something fresh over and over and over again, because what happens is the brain is also learning how to connect. So your brain is learning the postures, yes, but your body is learning too. So it starts to keep your body young as well because there's lots of myths about being in your midlife that things are going to start falling apart and you know your body gets worse as you age. And I have seen time and time again from the students I teach and within my own practice that that doesn't have to be the case, that we can flip the script on that. Your body can actually, I know my body now is way more awesome than the body I had when I was 28. I would not go back and want that body at all. I am stronger. I'm more flexible, uh, you know, and yoga gives that to us. That's amazing. I love that. And those are words that I love to hear thinking about midlife, like you feel stronger. Such an important thing because I agree with you that a lot of people have such a ugh, negative feeling about growing old. But when you feel good in your body, it really changes the way that you feel in your inside and the way that you present yourself into the world. That's so important. 
So I know you have talked about encouraging people to take their yoga practice to the next level. How do you think that that is a good example or metaphor for your life in general, kind of taking things to the next level? Yes, such a good question. So I often have students start with me and they've practiced yoga Uh, They have some knowledge of yoga. That's what I usually require from my students is you have a little bit of knowledge of yoga, but you don't have to know everything, right? You don't have to have, you know, you don't have to practice for 20 years or anything like that. If you just have a general knowledge, you're probably going to be great in my classes. But they start with, you know, I'll give them a posture that they don't think is possible for them. Let's say a headstand, you know. For me, that was at one point was a super impossibility. I'm a very tall woman, and I never thought that I would, like inversions were not for me. Headstand or handstand, that was not going to be in my wheelhouse. But as I started to learn it, I had to give up that thought of myself. And therefore, when you finally hit this posture or you achieve this posture that you never thought was possible for you, you start to look around at your own life and think about where else you might be selling yourself short. Those things, those things that we believe about ourselves, uh, you know, so many people believe strange things about themselves. I'm not creative. I'm not a good reader. I'm not intelligent. I'm not that. And yoga, when you achieve those monumental peak postures within your practice that you never thought was possible for you, helps you to think, well, maybe I can do those things. Maybe I am creative. Maybe I can become, you know, a great reader or writer or whatever, you know, whatever blocks you have, it starts to wipe them away because they're not true. They're just something that we were made to believe at one point in our life for whatever reason. I love that. And I think that this time in midlife is such an important time to tap into that next level. And I really love that, you know, you're using yoga to help women in midlife do that Um, because you're right. I think we, by this time, we've told ourselves so many stories and we have so many limiting beliefs and challenging ourselves to think differently about our own selves is the biggest game changer in being able to change our lives. So I love that so much. And you did such an eloquent, good job of explaining that. So thank you for that. And you also really challenged yourself this year. I listened to you talk on your own podcast about how, you know, you had always dreamed of having a yoga retreat. But you had heard, you know, so many people just kind of failing at it and not having enough people sign up, but you just felt really moved and called to offer one. And so you went out of your comfort zone and you took a risk and you just offered a retreat in in Arizona, right? Yes. So this was my second retreat. The first retreat I did was the year before in West Virginia, and it was a very short weekend retreat. And I was so scared to, to do it. Uh, for years, people had told me, of course you should do a retreat. You know, you will sell out. And there was a fear there that I wouldn't because as a yoga teacher, you sign this contract with the venue and it's, you know, quite a chunk of change and you have to pay the venue. Uh, so you really need to get out there and be motivated to get people to come to the retreat with you. And I just, for whatever reason, thought, Mm, 
there are people that enjoy my classes. Are there enough that would travel with me? Mm-hmm. And it was one of those limiting beliefs. So when I did the one in West Virginia, I announced it and it sold out in eight days. And wow. I walked around like I had this whole marketing plan. I had all this stuff that I never had to use uh, because it was done. You know, it was as soon as I had opened up registration, it was sold out. And so it got me to start thinking, well, what's the bigger dream? And, you know, spending quite a bit of time in Arizona right away, what popped into my head is I would really love to share Sedona, Arizona with uh, the the people in my community. And so it was such a challenge to get it done. It was not the easiest place to hold a retreat and it offered challenge after challenge after challenge. But I will tell you, I walked away from it so, so proud that I moved through it because again and again, you know, I, I would, it would become so hard and I'd be like, no, I'm getting, we're going to go somewhere else this year. No, this is just too hard. And then I'd have a dream about Sedona or someone would say something about Sedona and they had no idea I was planning this. And, uh, it was, it was such a, such a special time with the community. Uh, and it was really the adventure that I had hoped it would be for the people that attended. So uh, yeah, it was one of those things that I had to flex my yogi muscles in a different way. Like I was saying, it's like, what's the bigger dream and can you move through it? And I knew if I did move through it, I would be able to look back and be like, holy heck, I did that. And so, yeah, I, I'm just about a week and a half off of, you know, having completed that retreat and it was it was amazing from beginning to end. The right people showed up for it. Everybody was there to have a great time. And I think we did that. It was it was wonderful. I love that. And I can relate a lot to the obstacles as I just held a retreat and the first day a hurricane hit yep. um, us and we decided to still go forward with it and the results were magical. So I think sometimes, you know, you just, you, you see the obstacles and you just keep going. And sometimes the magic happens because of that. And I, I love that you did that. And I think you said something earlier about how yoga encourages you to be a lifelong learner. Mm -hmm. And that is something I feel really passionate about too in midlife, that if you are learning and simultaneously challenge yourself and pushing yourself, that is when you feel alive again. That is when you feel that spark to get out of bed. And I think often in midlife, we are living very rote lives, routine lives, responsibility-filled lives, and doing those things where you learn and you take a risk. Those are the things that put the spark back in and and take away that routine. And so anyone listening that hears your story, I hope that they feel inspired to learn something new and to take a leap because it's so, so important, especially now in midlife when I think we kind of forget how to do that. Oh, absolutely. If if you do one thing, you know, in your life that I would wish for everyone is where you see the challenge instead of running away from it, that's exactly what you should be moving through is the challenge. You will find yourself in, in understand yourself in a greater depth at the other side of the challenge. So don't back away from it. That's when you start to age 
when things do start falling apart, if you move through the challenge, you will find so many gifts there. Yeah, I love that. Such a good message. And switching gears a little bit. So something that you said to me on our call um, was that you and your husband have been married for 22 years. You've been together for 27 years. And you said to me, you are still so excited to wake up with him. And I think that that is such a gift. And so I just wanted to see if you had any tips to share to anyone listening who wants to improve her relationship, her marriage? Oh, gosh. Uh, So my marriage isn't perfect. I'm going to start with that. Uh, No Uh, one's is. (laughs) I don't want to give, you know, that feeling that like everything's roses all the time. Uh, But it is it is a really beautiful life. Uh, And like I said, 23 year old Tori, best decision she made in her 20s was marrying uh, my husband, Jeffrey. And uh, I thank her every day for that. I must have had some insights at that point that he was really the greatest partner for me in life. And I think for us, what has made the difference is we always encourage each other in their dream, in each other's dreams. He is someone that went on and got his PhD. It was something he never thought he would do. So he has his master's, his PhD, and he has seen me go from, you know, actress where, you know, and he supported me there into yoga teacher into what this program has developed today and a small business owner. Uh, So he, he has supported every crazy and wild dream. And I think it's really that, that has, you know, kept our bonds so, so strong is that we're always encouraging each other to keep moving forward and keep learning so that that would be my advice is, you know, be with someone that is really excited for you and for your individual journey as well as their own. I love that. And really, your story is such a testament to how you both um, did that for each other. And, you know, if you're listening and you are married, maybe dig into what your partner's hopes and dreams are so that you can better support them. And then it becomes an ongoing conversation in that regard, because I love that. I love that supporting each other to grow and to dream and to get to the next level. That's beautiful. So Tori, now that you have this online business, people don't need to be in Chicago to work with you. So will you just tell everybody where they can find you and find all the information about your membership. And I know you have even, I think it's, is it like a two-week trial membership or something? Yes. So my program is, if you've taken online yoga and so many people jumped into online yoga during quarantine, and there were some really great, beautiful places where you could do your online yoga. And then I know that there were, you know, some people had like not the best experience with online yoga. So I encourage you to try it again. I do things very differently than most people do. And my program is all about connection. So it's very rare, um, especially in an online setting, that you get individual attention from an instructor. So in my program, there is a two-week trial membership. And within the membership, we have a little one-on-one time so that I understand where you're coming from um, in your practice, whether you're starting from your very beginnings or you have just a little knowledge of yoga or whether you've been on your mat for 10 years and you're like, I'm ready. I, I want to learn how to fly in arm balances. I want to do deep back bends. I, it really runs the gamut. And I do have women 
from like their late 30s all the way up into their 70s. So please know that everybody is welcome and every level is welcome. But we do a two-week trial membership to see if it's a fit. I have live stream classes and on-demand library with over 350 classes and meditations and posture tutorials and free workshops also that are on there that will help support your practice and help you feel like you're, you know, when you do step into a live stream class, feel like you're kind of in the know a little bit about what's going to happen within that class. So, you know, it is a little bit different of a, a program than anything else. I take a lot of online yoga too, just to see what's going on out there. And I have had a lot of people come into the program and say, oh my God, this is so, so different. And I'm like, yes, it's different. You, I will not turn your mics off. You know, I like to hear you groan. <laughs> if <it's a> hard <laughs> <laughs> I like to hear I, as a yoga teacher and as someone who is a vocalist, I'm really in tune with your breath. So I like, I, I can hear you breathe. You can mute if there's something crazy going on. You know, I have someone that's getting their kitchen renoed right now. They're, they're muted. <laughs> so, you know, if something crazy is going on in your space, you're muted. But I, I, I think, you know, in a Zoom class, it's really important that a student can be in the middle of a posture and say, I don't get it. What hand is in front or something like that? And they don't have to run to the chat to, you know, that's super disruptive to your practice. And so that also helps you to get to know the other students that are in the program. We have so many women that have become great friends through this and they're from all over the place and they they who knows if they would have met or connected without this program so it really for me i might not always be your yoga teacher but i do hope that if you are part of my programs and my offerings that you walk away with one or two really great friends because i think in midlife it can also kind of feel lonely sometimes and it, it can be hard to make adult friendships and so Everything I create, I always sit and think about, does it create connection? And if it does, then I will move through with it. And if it doesn't, then it's just a bad idea or it's not an idea that's fit for my program. So you will get to know so many people through online yoga. Is it possible? Totally. I love that. And I'm going to put this in the show notes, but will you just tell everyone what your website is? Oh, absolutely. So you can find me pretty much anywhere meetmeonyourmat.yoga. So that is the website. That's also my handle on Instagram and Facebook. And I believe it's on TikTok, but I've barely tiptoed into TikTok. So, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Well, I am so grateful to get to know you more and to have had you on the show and for everyone to hear your story and just have that reminder to keep learning Keep stepping into the next challenge and your next purpose because you never know where it will bring you. So thank you so much, Tori. Oh, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. And thanks to all of you for listening. If you can so kindly give the podcast a rating or review, that means so much. And it helps more women to find this podcast. And the more women that join in on this conversation, the fuller it will be. Have a beautiful day, my friends. 